It is good to be with my brothers and sisters this morning in your presence. Lord, I'm thankful that you are in control today, that you are seated on your throne, and I'm thankful for that, especially thinking of the things that some are going through in their lives, Lord, the things going on in, in our country, even around the world, Lord, you, you are seated on your throne as king. So we have confidence and trust in that, Lord, we trust you. And even, Lord, as we take a look today at, uh, at some of the vision for the upcoming years here at the chapel, Lord, ultimately, I look to you for wisdom, for guidance. Lord, may, may this vision for the next three years not just be our idea of, of what we hope to see happen, Lord, but may it fulfill your plans and purposes. Lord, guide and direct us. We look to you now. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, won't you have a seat? So it has been three years since 2017 that, that the chapel started its Vision 2020 campaign. And, and many of you have had a big part of that, and it's been cool to see all that God has done inside the walls, outside the walls. It's, it, it's been special. But I think it's been hard because over these past few months especially, over this past year, it, it's been challenging, it's been difficult. That's kind of trumped uh, over everything that we, that, that we could see. And so I think it's good to take a moment to just reflect back over the last three years to, to see what exactly has the Lord, the Lord has done. This is a small piece, but I wanted to show you a couple of things that we were excited about as we reflected you know, uh, God has enabled us to have 2,000 people engaged in small groups or serving teams across our three campuses. We, this is amazing. Along with that, we've been able to invest 10,000 hours and $1.1 million into our community and in our world on mission to tell people about Jesus Christ. This is, we were so excited about this. Uh, we, our goal was to have 200 people on short-term missions. The reality is we were able to send 231 people on short-term missions, and that's with a lot of our trips being canceled this past year. So that is incredible. Uh, it's hard to believe this one because it seems like it's been so much longer than this, but the fact is, is that over the past three years, we've been able to launch uh, our chapel Port Clinton campus. And, and, and they are meeting there this morning just as we are here. And it's incredible to see all that's happening now in Port Clinton. And there's so much more. I wish I could share it all. But I thought, yeah, before, we, before we look ahead, we need to stop for a second and take a moment. And truly, we need to just thank the Lord for all he has done and enabled us to do these past three years. Can we, can we just thank the Lord this morning together? Thank you, God. Oh, it's incredible. But uh, with our 2020 vision now behind us, 
We're going to look for countless more opportunities to continue our mission, our mission to help people move one step closer to God and to each other through Christ. That mission hasn't changed. That mission won't change moving forward. This will, this will remain there. Today, however, we, we're going to take the next few minutes to share with you a huge vision of what we're going to be working on together over these next three years. And we're calling this, this vision moving forward, the Chapel 2023 Growing Deeper vision. There's a reason we're calling this vision Growing Deeper. It's because over the past 34 years of the chapel's existence, 34 years, we've gone through great lengths to help people take their next steps closer to to Christ. As a result of that, amazing things have happened. Many, many people have come here. Our, our, our church has, has grown. We have an impact in three different communities, Norwalk and Sandusky and Port Clinton. It, it's, it's huge. If we are to compare the chapel to a, that of a tree, our branches have gotten wide. Our canopy is huge, and we are thankful to God for that. Without a doubt. But with that said, we also recognize something. We recognize that, that, that when your branches get too wide, but your roots aren't deep enough, you can have a problem. We recognize that when that happens, when the wind blows and the storms come, that tree with those big branches is easily toppled over if your roots aren't deep. It, we have to have that foundation that is grounded deeper and deeper into, into the, the fertile soil of God's truth. We, we need that in order to become as healthy and as stable as we possibly can. And I, and I, I say, how will we know how will we know if the chapel is, is a growing, healthy church that, that God is pleased with? Well, I think Scripture is clear. It, it equates roots or, or spiritual growth or maturity to, to bearing fruit, to reaping a harvest. I mean, look at what some of these Scriptures have to say about having deep roots. We see this in Psalm chapter 1. It says they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. We want to be a church that is bearing fruit each season. We don't want to wither. And then if we jump to the New Testament, we see in Matthew, he writes, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify a people by its actions. We want to be a church that is identified by our actions, by our fruit. And we can jump even just a couple chapters later in Matthew. And, and he kind of reiterates the same thought. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. We recognize 
that if, if we want to reap a harvest, if we are going to bear the fruit of life change as a church, that we need to position ourselves to be as healthy as possible. And in order to be a church that, that Jesus deems as healthy and growing, we have to focus on our root system. So with that said, we've put our heads together and kind of identified six main roots that we want to cultivate over these next three years. And, and over these next six weeks, we're going to look at one root per week. And we're going to go into more detail about those roots each week. But this morning I thought, you know, let me just give you all six so that you can see where we're heading over these next few weeks. Okay, so here's the six roots we want to we want to work on. The first one we're going to look at today a little building a culture of family. The second root is becoming like Jesus. That is our our goal each and every day to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, the third one is equipping the next generation. You know, if we are going to be a church that makes it into the future, that continues to grow, that continues to thrive, it's probably not going to be done by some of us. It's going to be done with our kids. Our kids need to need to have relationships with the Lord that are rooted and grounded into his truth so securely that when you and I are gone, they will continue on in this mission and be successful. Root number four, cultivating healthy relationships. Five, gaining financial wisdom, learning how to manage money God's way is so important. Root number six, engaging our neighborhoods, communities, and our world. Not only... Will these six roots help us as a church to grow? And it's going to help each one of us individually to also take next steps closer. And so for our remaining few minutes we have together today, I, I, I want to just stop and take a look at this first root, building a culture of family. Now over these next uh, weeks and months, we're going to dive into these much, much deeper. But, but this morning, let me, let me just talk about this briefly. And we we want to look at building a culture of family. And I imagine that when I say that word family, it conjures up a whole bunch of different emotions in you. Because some of you have had amazing families. I, I'm fortunate to be one. It's not a perfect family by any stretch, but it's a family that, that is, is loving, that is caring. There's incredible memories I have of my family. I desire to be with them. When I left for college, I looked forward to being with my family. I, to this day, we enjoy spending time together. And because of this, Family is something that's important to you, and you have also grown to, to make sure that your family is experiencing the same thing. You, you, you equate family to love and belonging and care and trust and comfort. All of those things you think of when you think of family. Family is good to you. That excites you. But I'm also aware of something else that there's some of you who have not had that experience with family. 
When I say the word family, truthfully, you get uneasy. You're uncomfortable with that. Because, because you didn't grow up in a loving home. You didn't grow up in an environment that was safe and comfortable. You didn't want to be with your family. In fact, maybe even today you're estranged from your family. And, and, and that when you think of family, you think of words like abandonment hurt and, 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 and woundedness. Those are the things you feel when you think of family. And I just a sidetrack off the message today. If that's you and that was your family, my heart breaks for you. And I'm sorry. Because there is, there is real pain when a family hurts you. And there is real pain when a family gives up on you. But let me give you this glimmer of hope today that you can belong to a family like you never thought you could before. Because that is, that is what is beautiful about God's design for his church is that we are supposed to resemble a family. And if you're from a loving, caring family, then this picture of family should just reinforce that. In fact, it should be even a, a better picture of that. And if you're from a family that's, that's filled with pain and hurt, then, uh, then this picture of family, the church, it should redeem that for you. You should experience a family here of care and love like you've never experienced before in your life. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. You know, it was moments before Jesus was betrayed and arrested and murdered, that Jesus had a prayer, and he prayed for you and I. I, I want to show you what he prayed in John 17 when he said this. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. He's praying for us. Then he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus has a specific vision in mind for the church. And when he prays, he doesn't just pray for himself. He prays that his people, those who believe and follow Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior, will be one. And then he gives us an example of what that oneness looks like. He, he, he says that, that that example of oneness should mirror that relationship between he and his father. That relationship that's filled with unconditional love, that's filled with care, that's filled with intimacy, that's filled with unity, that's filled with humility, that's filled with belonging. As a church, we, as a church, we result in unity through Christ this is what he, he prayed for. As a church, our, our oneness, our care, our, our unity, it should be. I'm not saying it always is, because the Lord knows we're not perfect. But it should be different. It should be so unique. It should be so different that, that people who don't know Jesus the people who don't want anything to do with Jesus, they see us. They see our family. They see the way we care for each other. And they're drawn to it. They're drawn to wonder, what, what is that about? 
And they're, they're drawn to our family of faith because we are reflections of Jesus' identity, his character. This is, a, this is incredible, and it's exactly what happened in the first church in Acts. There was a, a, a church after Jesus prayed that, that, that came and, and was established in the book of Acts. And let me just show you a glimpse of what that church looked like. This is found in Acts chapter 2. This is what it looked like. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Then each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When I read this piece of church history, I can't help but see a culture of family formed amongst these people who were once strangers, and now they were so together that they were spending time together. They were learning together, growing together. My favorite thing, they were eating together. They, they, they did what was ever necessary to take care of each other's needs. Wouldn't this be incredible? And you know what's you know what's even more amazing? Is you notice this last sentence? Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. People were drawn to their family, their lives were being changed, they were being saved through this. This this culture was irresistible to people. And each day, people were being added. God used this culture of family to bring people to himself so more people would believe in, in him through the message of the gospel. And this vision for the church that was evident in Acts chapter 2 has not changed. It's still the vision for our church today. You know, I, I longed for this. For the chapel. This would be, this would be a dream come true for, the, for that we would get to the point where we would be such a family that this was happening. You know, Pastor J.D. Greer, he, he summed it up with, with this, and I, I love what he had to say. He wrote, The church is not an event to attend, but a family to belong to. Big difference. This is a big difference here, because if we only believe that the church is an event to attend, if we think that what happens here is just Sunday morning from 10 to 11, that's it, it's our once a week, we check mark our box, we did our due diligence, we, we did our thing and we're gone, we don't think about it the rest of the week, we don't really care, we'll just make sure we're back to check mark our box the following weekend. If that is our idea of what church is, then let me tell you what happens, and this is ugly, I'm warning you. Because what happens is we make church about us. And you know what happens when we make church about us? We become consumers. Consumers 
are, are people who, who come and they, and they want specific songs sung. And they want a specific message said. They want specific events held. They want things done the way they want things done. And if they don't get it, you know what happens? They'll leave. That's a consumer. I want what I want because it's about me. You know what else happens when, when it's all about us? We come in and we sneak out because we don't want to talk to anybody. That's for sure. And the people who are here, we will judge. We judge them if they act differently than us, look differently than us, believe differently than us, voted differently than us, live differently than us. Those people are going to be judged because this is about me and what I want. I come because I like to be served. I like that everybody here serves me and that feels good, but I never once think about how I can help serve other people. That is if church is an event to attend to. And that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. But I tell you what, imagine if the chapel was Jesus' answer to prayer in John 17. Imagine if what happened in this place was so attractive, so inclusive, that our non-church-growing friends and family, they they couldn't help but, but to come and be a part of this. Because if church was a family, Let me tell you what that looks like. And this is a much more beautiful picture. Because if church is a family, and I recognize it's not just about me, then I become an owner, not a consumer. And and an owner, as an owner of the church, man, no matter what song's sung, no matter what event's given, I'm, I'm in. I want to be a part of this, not because this is an event, but because this is my family. I I want to be a part of that. That when I walk through the doors of this place, I'm I'm pursuing people who look differently than me, act differently than me, believe differently than me. I'm pursuing them because I want them to be a part too, because that's exactly what Jesus did when he walked here on this earth. And when, and, and when I am an owner, I, I, I think about using my time and my, my talents and my treasure to know how I can best serve other people because it's about that, not about me. That's if church is, is a family. I want to I encourage you because... I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen so many times in many of your lives. And it's been special. It's incredible to be a part of a church with people who treat this as a family, as God intended. But I'm just being honest. The wider our canopy has become, the larger our church has become, it just gets harder. I don't know everybody. I can't. It's, it's, I have, we have to be more intentional about family. It's, it's, not as, it's not as easy. We have to be more intentional about growing deeper. I can't do this alone. The pastors can't do this alone. The chapel staff can't do this alone. This is going to take all of us to be a part of this. We need everyone at the table. I love this. I love the picture of the Thanksgiving dinner. You know, when you pull out the big, huge table and the family sits around it 
And you have everything from, from the crying baby to the great grandma who's cutting up the food so that mom can eat. You got the dad messing with the kids. You got the crazy uncle doing who knows what, the fun aunts cracking up jokes. You have it all around the table. You have, you have the stories. You have laughter around the table. Sometimes you have tears. Sometimes you have disagreements. Sometimes you have apologies that need to be made. Sometimes it gets messy. And sometimes it's peaceful and joyous. And sometimes there's celebration. All of that happens around the table when each and every person has a seat there. It's incredible the picture of unity and love that happens around that table. And you know what? If there's an empty seat, it's missed. That person that belongs in that seat, it, ah, it hurts. You want them there because they play a crucial role in the family and making that special. We need everyone at the table to make this special. That's what makes family powerful. So over the next six weeks, we're going to give you some some some. Uh, steps on on how we can accomplish these these goals today though i don't i don't want to give you a bunch of how steps on how we can become a family that it, it won't do any good you know why because we need to first understand the why family is important before we can understand how to do family and so we want to focus on the why, and, and I'm stealing these words from Pastor Erwin McManus this morning because I think he says the why very clearly when he wrote this. Home is ultimately not about a place to live, but about the people with whom you are most fully alive. He says home is about love, relationship, community, and belonging, and we are all searching for a home. The why is simple. God's desire for his people, for his church, is family. He desires for us to experience spiritual belonging and physical belonging. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, you know the most amazing thing happens? We're adopted into his family. We become sons and daughters of the king. You know what that means? Sorry for your luck, but you and I are brothers and sisters. We're family. That means those who never had a place to belong before, you've got a family now. And we're together in this. Every person longs to belong. And every human being who desires that, and we get to be the people to open the door for them to come home. We're going to know at the end of three years if we've done this well. And I'll tell you how we'll know. This was our litmus test. At the end of three years, we'll know we accomplished our mission in this vision if every single person who steps foot through the doors of the chapel 
If they exhale and say, I'm home. I, I desire that in my heart. And I hope you do too. Because we're going to work on this together. As we close, we're going to close with a benediction. Every week for the next six weeks, we're going to close with a benediction. The same scripture every week. Because we want this to be in our hearts. And so as we close today, I wonder if you would uh, read this with me. It comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Can we read this together? And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Amen. All right. Looking forward to seeing you. Have a great afternoon. Go Browns. And our greeters are going to dismiss you.